Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Despite losing to LSU on Saturday, Florida still has all of their goals in front of them for the season as they get set to take on South Carolina, who just knocked off Georgia in Athens this past weekend. Is USF back on the right track after getting their second straight win, a come-from-behind victory over BYU? They're now set to take on Navy this weekend. Florida State gets set to take on Wake Forest this weekend. It's one of the most exciting offenses you'll see this year, despite the fact you haven't heard of it. And nationally, can we already rule the Pac-12 out of the college football playoff? We've got Tampa Bay Times college football writer Matt Baker joining us today to give you all those answers and more on Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Steve Versnick filling in for Rick Stroud, who's still on vacation, but he will be back on tomorrow's show. And if you're like me, you're sick and tired of paying high electric bills. It's still October, the temperature's in the upper 80s, and your electric bill's over $300. That's just insane. If you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bills, listen now. May Electric Solar is a locally owned company. They're the safest solar available, and they do not use high voltage like many other companies. May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all of their equipment and labor, and they have a full showroom open weekdays where you can see their products. May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and their peers. There are many other solar companies imitating us and trying to use our great name. But remember, we do not use subcontractors, and we do not subcontract for any other company in any other way. Everyone knows it has to be May all the way. Stop the insanity of those out-of-control electric bills. Start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through the end of the year by changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. All right, Matt Baker joins us now, fresh off a trip to Death Valley. That was your first night game at LSU. It was Florida losing to LSU 42-28 to in that offensive shootout everyone expected from those defensive schools, correct? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, that just told me this this LSU new look, Joe Burrows uh, uh, and Brady offenses, as, I mean, it's legit. Like, I don't know that there's a better team in the country than LSU right now with the way they can score uh, on Florida. If they could score on the Gators like that, I think they can score on anybody like that. Well, let's talk about Joe Burrows, because I've heard some uh, national talk now as far as, you know, looking ahead to the draft next year. But, you know, it's always been Tua, Jake from and Herbert from Oregon. Jalen Hurts has had a really good year, but now there are people saying Burrows is the best quarterback of them all. I mean, I, I certainly think he's in the discussion. I mean, he, he's he's 6'4". He kind of looks like a quarterback out of central casting. It's not like he came out of nowhere. I mean... He's a was a blue chip guy, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Football in the state of Ohio, which is a state known for its football. It was again got good size. He moves pretty darn well. He's he's not Justin Fields or, or anything like that, but he is a, a certainly a mobile, capable running quarterback who's got a, a strong enough arm and he makes good decisions. So you're you're going down and looking at your your your, your boxes of what an NFL team would look for. I, again, I'm not going to say he's the, he's the top quarterback in the country just because I think there's a lot of really good ones. But he's absolutely a guy that should be on the, the first round consideration because I think he's that good, especially after seeing him in person. 
So how was the night game at LSU? I know you've, you've been to many college football venues around the country, including the Swamp, which gets very loud. But it was your first time at night to LSU. Yeah, it, and it, it didn't disappoint to me. I mean, when they start playing Colin Baton Rouge and, the, you know, 102,000 people are clapping and singing along, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't kind of rocking back and forth, dancing a little bit in my chair, kind of getting going, because that's, that's what makes this job exciting for me, is seeing a lot of these really cool environments, experiencing different things, and seeing how one fan base does things um, versus another. I will say, however... Um, I thought the Swamp against Auburn was louder than Death Valley against the Gators. It, it could be shaped by just where I was in the press box. Um, that type of stuff happens. Just a, a quick story. I shouldn't even go there. But um, when I covered the uh, Bama-Georgia title game a couple years ago in Atlanta, I rem- you know, President Trump came out, and uh, I remember where I was sitting. I heard more cheers than boos in the press box. But when I put that on Twitter, I had a bunch of people, including a former congressman, telling me, well, on TV, it was way more booze than cheers. Well, it must be for this party or that party. So, you know, I'd say that to say that sometimes your your perception in the press box is a little bit skewed. But from where I sat, I thought that the swamp was louder than Death Valley. But, I mean, they were both awesome environments. No question about that. All right. Well, Florida played fairly well in that game you know defensively they had trouble stopping LSU but they did score 28 points on the LSU defense which is not a a small task in itself so how do you think the Gators played overall I thought they played pretty well um you you look at it you know Mullen has his kind of keys to success and the the big one is play great defense well Florida wasn't going to uh just because LSU's offense is that great like I mentioned um but then they were really hurt with injuries I mean Jonathan Grenard was an All-America level player in my mind. He goes out with an injury. Um, Jabari Zuniga, their other really good defensive end, Mm -hmm. is going to be taken in in the early rounds of the draft. He's not able to go with an injury either. So you lose your two top pass rushers against that offense, you're going to hurt. And and that's what we saw for the Gators. And um, one of the Mullins' other big keys, obviously, is how you do in the red zone. Well, LSU is... Still hasn't missed in the red zone all season, and it didn't miss against Florida. And Florida had two chances there in the second half and, and failed on and failed on them. One was the the stuff run at the end on Kyle Trask on an option, and one was Trask interception in the end zone. So, to me, it, w- what it showed me was that Florida's a really good team, but they're not a great team. They're not an elite top five national championship contender yet. They they have too many holes. Um, you know, the offensive line isn't good enough. The defensive secondary, there is so much attrition in the offseason. They still have some weaknesses and some holes there. And again, you lose two really good defensive linemen. There's not a lot of schools in the country that can replace that and move on. But Florida is clearly not one of those. And it tells me they're just not quite there at that level of being a great championship contending team quite yet. So where do you have them ranked in your poll right now? I have them. Uh, I had the Gators at nine. Okay. Um which was one notch below Georgia. I could go either way on that. Um, it, it's kind of funny how when I do the, you know, when I do my, my rankings every week, either from my couch or whatever cheap hotel over the free breakfast that I'm staying at that day. <laughs> some some of the weird conversations I have in my head, some of the weird dialogue between this team and that team, where you wouldn't necessarily think at the start of the season, that's who you're going to be discussing or who you're going to be thinking about. But I had a real tough debate in my head between Georgia and Florida. You know, Florida's got the better loss. Uh, Georgia 
has the worst loss. Their top wins are comparable, but as I looked at it, I think Georgia's body of work and killing the teams they were supposed to kill versus Florida kind of struggling against uh, Kentucky, struggling against um, Miami in the opener. So I, I had Georgia ahead, but they're, you know, to me, anywhere in that 8 to 11, 8 to 12 range kind of makes sense for both Florida and Georgia right now. Well, we talk about Georgia, and of course they got upset at home by South Carolina, who the Gators get to play this weekend in uh, Columbia. So what happened to Georgia? I mean, they're supposed to be one of the top three, four, five teams in the country. What happened? Well, that's that's the big question. Um, when What I saw of the game, uh, Jake from I don't want to say that he regressed, but he just had a rough outing. I think some of it is a little bit of turnover luck. You know, some of the passes that just didn't go his way with, with tips. And South Carolina's got a, a very good defense. It's kind of what you expect from Muschamp, right? You think if he's going to win a game, it's going to be 20-17 to 17 or something ugly like that. Um, so I, I think there was some of that. I, I also think some of it is just kind of in-game coaching. I mean, Kirby Smart is an elite, elite recruiter. You know, he's had three straight top three recruiting classes. So it's not the guys. It's not the dudes. Um, so it's, to me, some of it is X's and O's in the schematics. And I think, too, we saw at the beginning of the season, Georgia's weakness, such as it was, was going to be the receivers because I think they lost what was their, their top four receivers from last year. Um, and they don't have the, the talent at that position yet that's ready to step up. I mean, Lawrence Cager, the Miami transfer, played very well against Notre Dame, better than I ever saw him play for the Canes. But I think he was banged up in this one, and they just don't have enough depth there to kind of guys to, to catch and run on, on Fromm or to make sure they get open and give Fromm somebody to throw to. So I, I guess we'll see how this looks at the end of the season, whether this is was kind of a fluky thing on a weird day where the bounces just didn't go their way. Or if this was, eh, maybe George is not quite as good as we thought. Maybe the the way they kind of slipped toward the end of last year, certainly the way they looked in the bowl game against Texas, maybe that's more indicative of where this program is, where Kirby Smart's more of another Mark Rick than he is another Nick Saban. Well, okay, so Florida this week travels to Columbia, and you face South Carolina, who's kind of an up-and-down team this year. I mean, they beat Georgia, but they've already had two losses in the SEC. So how do you see this game playing out on Saturday? I think it's going to be, it has potential to be pretty ugly again. Um, and Florida's okay with that. I know their fans want to score a lot of points, but I think this is going to be more kind of like the Kentucky, hopefully not as ugly as the Miami game, but more of a low scoring thing just because Florida's defense, I think, is going to get back on track and playing South Carolina with a banged up quarterback in Ryan Holinsky, that's going to help them. But I also don't think Florida's offense is at a point right now where they're going to go and, and score, you know, five or six touchdowns on, on most teams, especially one that's as good as South Carolina is. I mean, uh, Javon Kinlaw, number three, their big defensive tackle. He is really, really good. I, I don't think he's quite as good as uh, Derek Brown, the big monster tackle from Auburn was a couple weeks ago, but Kinlaw is an NFL guy who I think can have a really long career uh, at the next level. So I say that, say, I think it's going to be a fairly, Ugly, probably low-scoring game, probably a one-score game. I think Florida has more talent, and uh, more talent typically wins, especially when they're as well-coached as, as Mullen is. But this is not a gimme. And, and honestly, Steve, I, I think uh, I think South Carolina upsetting Georgia is a really good thing for Florida for a number of reasons. Obviously, mm-hmm. it makes the East more interesting. But I also think it's this could be a situation where Florida could be in for a you know having just lost to LSU, you could have a letdown there. 
looking ahead to the open date, looking ahead to Georgia after that. But given how South Carolina beat the Bulldogs last week, there's not going to be any looking past Will Muschamp this time. So that's a, that's a good thing kind of from the Gators mentality, so to speak. Yeah, and, and you, you wrote about this week about how despite the loss at LSU, which uh, LSU some people have as the number one team in the country, I, I can't argue with that. But everything is still in front of Florida. I mean, their goals every year is to win the conference or to win the SEC East to get to the conference yep. championship game of that. Even without a Georgia losing to South Carolina, it was still there because you play Georgia. But now it opens it up even more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, to me, I, I think Florida, Are there is there a scenario where they win the conference and go to the playoff? Yeah, of course. Um, that's still possible. But the big thing for them in year two under Mullen is to win the East and have a shot in Atlanta and they still have that possibility ahead of them to me the Georgia game showed that the Bulldogs are vulnerable um, I thought Kirby was going to create this this juggernaut this other death star in Athens and it showed me that he's not there yet so I think if there's a year we can talk about this more in a couple years or a couple weeks but if there's a year when Florida in the near future is going to be able to beat Georgia and crack into that I think this is going to be the year just because of the way their rosters are set up, how well Georgia's recruited. You know, Florida's got so many uh, seniors and experienced guys at, at key positions. So to me, this all sets up like Florida's going to have an absolute shot in Jacksonville. And really, they need to, they need to do it because if it's not going to happen this year, I'm not sure when it's going to happen. Well, and, and we always talk about Florida and Georgia, but don't sleep on Missouri either, as we talked about before the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mizzou, if you look at some of the advanced metrics that, that I'm a fan of, um, they're like 10th in the country in SP+. Plus. Um, they, it's, they, they got off to a weird start when they lost at Wyoming, but since then they've done very, very well. You know, they're, they're undefeated so far in the SEC. Granted, their schedule, they, they beat Ole Miss and South Carolina, but they also destroyed West Virginia, and, and you know, uh, all, their, all their wins so far are by double digits. So, and Florida would have to travel to Missouri in November as well. So, I'm again. I don't think Missouri is going to win the East, but as we sit here today, they absolutely are in the discussion. All right, we'll move on to USF now, who had a 13 point comeback on homecoming to knock off BYU. Gets their record back to three and three on the season after a rough one and three start. They've also won two games in a row against uh, F. Uh, what do they call them? FBS schools, I think it is. FBS, yeah. yeah. FBS schools. So. How is USF looking? And, and, you know, that defense made some big stops down the stretch. Absolutely. The, the, the defense, to me, hasn't been USF's biggest problem. It's been the offense, because I, we've talked about it on here before, but I expected them to make some strides under Kerwin Bell, and so far they really haven't. I mean, they're they're way down in, in a lot of the, the, the numbers, um, giving up too many sacks and, and that sort of thing. Um, so as I look at USF right now, Obviously, the, the BYU win was big, um, but I'm not jumping down over it either if I'm a Bulls fan. You know, BYU going into a couple different time zones away with a backup quarterback, that sort of thing. It's it's a nice win, but it's not a program-changing win or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to see how USF does this week. They're playing Navy on the road. Navy's always a tough team with that triple option. They can sit on the football and not give you a ton of possessions. And, and Navy doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So I think if USF's going to have a chance, they're going to have to get some turnover luck, get some fumbles, that sort of thing, and try and get things going that way. And I don't see that happening this week. And then when you, when you look at them the rest of the season, 
at Navy, at East Carolina. UCU is terrible. USF should win that. Then Temple, Cincinnati, Memphis, UCF. All those teams are, to me in my mind, certainly top 50, probably top 40. Cincinnati, mm-hmm. I've got ranked. Um, Memphis and, and, and Temple are kind of on that mix that I've considered too. So that's a really tough road down, down the end and uh, really hard to see a bowl out of that. Yeah, when you look at that schedule, I mean, Cincinnati only lost to Ohio State. Temple had a weird loss to Buffalo. Uh, but Navy's only loss is to Memphis. Memphis's only loss is to Temple. Temple. You know, yeah. so, I mean, they those teams aren't losing outside of playing each other for the most part. Um, and those are pretty much, the, and at SMU, who USF already lost to, those are the top teams in the American. And that is a tough schedule down the stretch for the last six games. I mean, you know, it's hard to see USF winning more than two. Yeah, certainly you think the ECU game you like usf chances again you mm-hmm. uh, east carolina is just is just awful um but other than that i, I mean i maybe you look at the the war on i4 ucf hasn't been great they're, you know they've taken a step back without mckenzie milton as kind of expected and weird thing i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today happen in a rivalry with emotions like that so maybe you can kind of circle the wagon to get one but the rest of those are, are, are pretty darn tough and and we'll see if charlie strong and, and his staff can make some strides and show at the end of this year give, give his administration and fans something to think that this program is heading in the right direction because unfortunately when i look at the schedule i think that's going to be really really hard for them to show let's talk about the navy game this week because that's always a tough team to play i mean any of those Naval Academies, they play the, the triple option. It's, a, it's an offense you don't see very often. Um, they, they play more basic defenses even and just kind of match up with you. Those are tough games to play because you just don't see them very often. Absolutely. and uh, I, I'm of the mindset that a school like in Illinois, a school like a Rutgers, mm-hmm. a school like Kansas – they should try the triple option just because it is so difficult. I mean, it, it's it's hard to stop when it's working well. Well, they did and at Georgia so, Tech for a while. They did, but Georgia Tech shouldn't. Well, Georgia Tech, I don't think, needed to do that because in Atlanta, you're in a position where you should be getting a lot of really good athletes. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that hamstrung them rather than helped them. But I think if you're a team like a Rutgers or an Illinois, you don't have a great recruiting footprint. You don't have the tradition to, and, and the history to recruit to you need to do something different to win at that level and just because the the spread option and zone read and all that stuff that's what most teams are running i think going swinging the other way with a a triple option kind of thing could be something to give you a schematic edge because the teams you're playing they're not going to face it much the rest of the year that might be a kind of thing that would that could work and again i don't know that it would make rutgers a, a championship team or anything like that but I think that increases their odds of going to a bowl every year. So um, that was kind of a, a weird tangent. But uh, you're right. Navy it still runs that old school triple option. And, and when it's working, it's really, really fun to watch. And, and uh, obviously, Ken Niamato Lolo and his uh, midshipmen have had a very good uh, run here over the years doing that. 
Yeah, I look back at, you know, even this season, Army. Well, last year they took Oklahoma to overtime. Yep. This year they take Michigan to overtime. Yep. Um, you know, it's different enough where it can really throw off even the best teams in the country, particularly like Oklahoma last season. You were surprised that game went to overtime. That Sure. It, and, it, it and is it's... different enough, and it gives you a, a chance to recruit a different athlete than going up against the ones who are pulling all the top five stars. Yeah, absolutely. And the, when it when it works really well, I mean, like Army, I, I think that all of their jaw, drives are like, 75 yards and 20 plays or something ridiculous like that mm-hmm. because they just they just sit on the ball and they are content to get four yards yep and, and go for it on fourth and two and that sort of thing that's just the the way that they're trying to win and, and it's working for them and um you know that's one of the things that i think is really cool about college football steve um because you look at a team like army and you mentioned it so a, a team like oklahoma they are so completely different geographically schematically personnel-wise, and yet they're playing a game against each other in the same... I mean, it doesn't even look like the same sport sometimes, but they're on the field sharing it against each other. So to me, that's one of the fun things about this sport. It's just the completely different stylistic matchups, and that's to some degree what we're going to see with USF's kind of the the Kerwin Bell offense with the kind of more more spread, trying to use the slot receivers a lot, versus Navy, which might pass the ball like six times in the game or something. Mm -hmm. You just brought up Kerwin Bell again before we go off USF, but what hasn't worked this year? I mean, we know, look, he's viewed as a very good offensive coach. Look at what he's done in his career. But why haven't they been able to get the offense off the to, – to, to take off, so to speak? Is it, is it the quarterback play or is it something else? Well, when things aren't going well, it's typically not one thing. It's, it's mm-hmm. a lot of things, especially when it's going that poorly. Um, I, I think the quarterback is, is part of it. I don't know that – Blake Barnett has been quite the as quite the fit that people thought, and then Jordan McLeod is is inexperienced, so you're going to have issues with that. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is the fact that anytime I shouldn't say anytime, almost anytime you have a new system, it's going to take a little bit to get going. I mean, again, with, with Barnett, he's had so many different coordinators and coaches over the years, that's going to throw you off. And I think a good chunk of it is the offensive line too. I mean, only. What I'm looking at one, two, three, four teams in the country have allowed more sacks this year than USF. I know that's not the best or the only way to measure an offensive line's success, but that's a really bad figure. And when your quarterback's under a lot of pressure, it's hard for him to do much. So I, I think that's kind of you add that, and maybe that you don't have quite the, the players that you need to to run the system at a, at a high level. Add that stuff together, and that's where you, you know, that's why you get the Bulls where they are at, where they're at right now. All right, Florida State's taking on Wake Forest. Florida State's, what, 3-3 three and three on the season right now? Mm-hmm. Um, still trying to get to bowl eligible at six wins. Wake Forest, 5-1 uh, and one overall, actually. Just 1-1 one one in the conference, though. Yeah, um, Wake, Wake just had the, the loss um, over the weekend. And uh, <laughs> Louisville was at 62-59, I think it was. <laughs> um, here's something that I don't think anybody has ever said about Wake Forest before. So I hope you're sitting down for this. Wake Forest is fun. Like what? they are, yeah, they are a legitimate fun team. I, they're they're not great. I think they're pretty good, but they're a legitimate fun team to watch. I mean, again, they, they run the spread kind of cutting edge RPO um, zone read stuff. But what's what's really cool? This is really nerdy. Um, what's really fun to watch about them is when they do the zone read. You know, the kind of handoff where the quarterback keeps it for a little bit looking at a certain defender and then determines whether to, to run it himself or give it to the, the running back. 
they hold that decision a really, really long time. Um, I don't understand well enough what they're looking for, whether they're waiting for somebody to move. Um, but there's been times when you watch them, like a quarterback has ended up boxing out a defensive end or something like that. It's so crazy. Uh, and they're, they're the only team in the country as far, that I've seen that runs it quite that way. But that's their wrinkle. And it's working at a really, really high level, which is why Wake Forest has I think, the number 12 scoring offense in the country and why they're here at 5-1 uh, at and one in the top 40 overall, in my mind, and uh, a favorite, I think, to beat Florida State on Saturday. All right, Georgia Tech, winless in the conference, goes to Miami. What do you see there? Uh, what I see here is a matchup of two coaches who have a lot in common, and Jeff Collins and Manny Diaz. You know, they're both uh, in the mid forties. Both have a lot of ties to the state. Uh, you know, Manny is obviously a longtime Miami guy, but also coached at Florida State as an assistant. Jeff Collins was a DC at Florida. Also worked at UCF and FIU. And most importantly, most importantly, Steve, these are the last two Temple head coaches. And they've uh, led Temple <laughs> to some of their greatest heights ever. I mean, Jeff Collins uh, won the, the Gasparilla Bowl. I'm sure you remember the classic a couple of years ago uh, where they beat mighty FI, FIU when the Panthers were down to like their eighth quarterback. So that was, uh, that was Temple's first bowl win since 2011. And Manny Diaz left, uh, left Temple with a perfect undefeated record after his 18 days in December. No, that's so, true. You can't take that away from him. No, no, no. That's that's quite an accomplishment. Um, so I guess seriously what, I, what I'm looking for, uh, Georgia Tech, this is, they're not in a good shape right now. You know, as they transition from triple option, triple option to more kind of relevant, cutting-edge offense. They're just a mess. They're going to be a mess this year and probably next year, too. Miami might have figured some things out last week in their win over Virginia. Um, still, I don't know what they're quite doing with quarterback. Nikosi Perry is going to start this this week. Um, I, I'm thinking Miami might start to be taking some steps in the right direction. I, w- I want to see how if they can continue to, to do better in close games, because obviously their, their losses have all been uh, by a combined 14 points. So uh, I, I think Miami wins this one pretty easily. But uh, Jeff Collins, long-term, I really like what he's going to do at Georgia Tech. All right, nationally, the big game this week and where college game day's at is Michigan at Penn State. Michigan with one loss already. Penn State finally gets a win on the road against a ranked team, which James Franklin had struggled with at Penn State. They beat Iowa last weekend. So how do you see that matchup? I think this is like... What when when I grew up in Big Ten country, this is the Big Ten football that that I that you kind of expect. You know, Penn State beat Iowa seventeen to twelve last week, which is about what I thought. And I think this week with Michigan, it's going to be pretty similar. Both have top uh, fifteen scoring defenses, top fifteen or twenty, and just about all the major metrics that you follow. I think that the difference is that. Penn State's offense is a little bit more explosive, not mm-hmm. a ton more explosive, but but a little bit more in terms of big plays. They're in the, the 30s and 40s nationally, and Michigan's further down than that. So I, I think this one is a close one, but um, I don't trust Harbaugh to win these kind of games right now. And, and I also think Penn State's going to break a big run or a catch and run or something like that, you know, a 50-yard play or something that'll be the difference on Saturday in, in Happy Valley. All right, in the Pac-12, we've got a couple matchups of ranked teams. There's four teams in the Pac-12 that have one loss, <clears throat> which yep. means two of those are going to have two losses after this weekend. You've got Oregon at Washington and Arizona State at Utah. 
basically the Pac-12 is eliminated from the, the college football playoff at this point, correct? Almost certainly. There are scenarios where, you know, Bama, Auburn, LSU beat themselves up. Somebody drops a weird one at three loss. Florida wins the conference. I mean, there's there's weird scenarios we can invent where it, the Pac-12 could get in. But I think for all intents and purposes, the, the Pac-12 is out. Um, this, so two thoughts on, on these games. Utah, Arizona State. This shows the Pac-12 for all of its stupidity. It's a top 20 matchup. Again, like you said, uh, both those with one loss, I think would be a fun game to watch. Very defensive heavy, but a fun game to watch. It's at 6 o'clock on the Pac-12 network. Nobody has the Pac-12 network. Nobody can watch this game. Certainly not a you know Joe and Jane college football fan here in, in Tampa. They can't watch that, even though it'd be a marquee game and one of the better games on, on Saturday. Um, Oregon, Washington, which thankfully normal human beings in the state actually can watch, um, because it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun one. Um, I'm curious to see uh, how, how Oregon's defense looks because I haven't seen a ton of them this year. You know, you think about Oregon, you you think about the Mariota, Chip Kelly score a zillion points that, that's not who these ducks are right now uh, under mario cristobal they've been changed to almost an sec team old school sec team where it's defense 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 and the guy at the middle of that's uh jordan scott from uh, pinellas park high school i think he was a gator commit at one time started 30 straight games out there kind of a, a man eater in the middle who had a big fourth down stop in the fourth quarter in this rivalry game against washington last year so I want to see if Washington can do anything against that Oregon defense, and I want to know just how good that those Ducks are in an environment uh, in, in Seattle that's that's pretty hostile. So I, I think that's one of the better matchups of the day. It's a shame that it doesn't have higher national stakes than that. So we're about halfway through the college football season now. We're mid October. A good chance to kind of evaluate where we are. The Pac-12 is a slim shot to make the, the yep. playoff. If Clemson stumbles, the ACC pretty much is out of the playoff. Almost certainly. Is yeah. that about where you see it, or you know, who do you? See? I mean, who's your top teams at this point? So when I, you know, when I do my AP ballot, to me, there's six teams. You can put them in almost any order, and, and I won't disagree with you much. Right now, I've got them: Ohio State at one, LSU two, Bama three, Wisconsin four, Oklahoma five, Clemson six, then Penn State at seven. Just because they're not quite as proven and they haven't been quite as dominant as the rest, but they're absolutely still in that mix for me. Well, um, they'll, they'll get their chance to prove it. They got Michigan this absolutely. week, they'll have Ohio State in a couple right. weeks. Yep. And then potentially if they were to get through those Wisconsin for mm-hmm. the, the Big Ten title. So yes, they will get their chance. Um, I, I think your your playoff teams, I think they're probably in there. You know, Typically, if you look historically in the long, illustrious, what are it, six years of the college football playoff, one team will come from lower than that. I don't know if that will happen this year, just because to me those top six or seven teams are are really really good. Um, but I, I think there's a chance, Steve, that this really comes out clean. Like the Big Ten champ is in, the SEC champ is in, OU and, and Clemson. There's a chance that those guys are in too, and it's that simple. Now I don't think that will happen, just because that's not how this sport historically works. Um, I don't know if, if Boise runs the table and we have to talk about an undefeated Boise State at 13-0 and with a couple of nice wins. No great wins, but a couple of nice wins. Maybe we're talking about them in the playoffs. Um, can, can you know, Baylor's undefeated. Is there a way for them to somehow really get in this conversation? I don't, I don't know. Um, 
but there, there's so I could see it going either where it's complete chalk or, or the more likely scenario, I suppose. And I'm talking myself into is there's three chalk and some weird wild card that maybe we can't even predict right now. All right. He's Matt Baker. He covers college football for the Tampa Bay Times. Hey, Matt, where are you going to be at this weekend? Yeah, no game for me. Kind of a weird weekend. So I'm going to be on my couch, but I'm doing something a little bit different. Um, cord cutting is a thing and has been a thing for the last couple of years. I think I'm a little later on the train than some people, but I, I think the cord cutters are having a big influence on the future of college football. I cut the cord you know, here at the Baker family manor. Uh, we cut the cord about six months ago. So this is my first college football Saturday as a cord cutter. So I'm going to be watching games from my couch and then kind of writing about my experience and, uh, you know, why it, it is relevant to uh, the power brokers in college football as a whole, plus you, the college football fan. Interesting. I've, I've debated whether cutting the cord. I've looked at several of those services, and there's usually one or two channels. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't have... missing a channel or two. Yeah, I don't have... Believe me, we spent a lot of time on it, and I, somewhere in, in one of my notebooks, I've got a big pro and con, this versus this, and um, we don't have everything we want, but it's close enough. It's mm-hmm. cheaper than regular cable, and I don't have to deal with cable companies' horrible, horrible customer service. So uh, wins all around, at least until uh, Saturday when I try this when it actually matters on a College Football Saturday. There you go. He's Matt Baker for the Tampa Bay Times. Matt, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. You got it. Thanks, Steve. Some other news of note. Former Rays manager Joe Madden is now the new manager of the Los Angeles Angels. You remember he was the bench coach there for many seasons before he became the head skipper here in Tampa Bay. Reportedly, it's a three-year deal worth around $12 million. The Tampa Bay Lightning back in action tonight in Boston, the sixth game of this six-game road trip. They're 3-2-1 and one on the season, looking to get a victory in before they return home Saturday night against Colorado with the start of a three-game homestand for the Lightning. If you're looking to save money on your electric bills, maybe up to 90 to 95%, call my friends at May Solar Electric, the locally owned company with been around for 12 years and get a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. If you need solar panels, May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Rick Stroud will be back tomorrow. For Rick, I'm Steve Versnick. Have a great day, everybody. 